It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Welcome to the Feckin' Check-In Show. It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Welcome to the Feckin' Check-In Show. It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Feckin' Check-In, Feckin' Check-In Show. It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Welcome to the Feckin' Check-In Show. Show. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Feckin' Check-In. My name is Trainer, and with me, as always, is my co-host Toomey. How are you doing on this Wednesday afternoon, Toomey, the 30th of June? 30 days have September, April, June and November, all the rest of 31 except for February 28. But in a leap year, once in four, February gains one day more. Oh, <laughs> he did it. Oh my God. <laughs> did it. Backstage, you- I fluffed it. But I got through it there. There was a slight delay at the start uh, where I lost yeah. confidence momentarily. But I got through it. Yes, you 30th did. of June, would you believe? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But I do have to now because it's fact. Uh, t- here, can I ask you a question? When you're trying to remember which month comes after which or how many... Sorry, not that. Actually, there's a separate one for that. But um, when you're trying to remember how many months have how many days, do you still go through that rhyme in your head as an adult? Yes. Yes, I do all the time. And I, I saw a tweet on it this week. That's what reminded me of it. Right. But I, I do that. I've done that every year of my, my 30-some years. On, this God, on God's green earth. Yeah, on God's green earth. But yeah, other than that, very good. Uh, we're having an a Irish heat wave, which is 20 degrees Celsius every day, which is great. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm not bad at all. Yeah, it is roasting, has been roasting all right. Uh, got a bit of sun, although I have been using sun cream most of the time. But um, yeah, it's, it's really pleasant. I'm wearing shorts, would you believe? Oh, yes, you transitioned to shorts, as we've discussed before. You weren't a shorts guy. Uh, traditionally but in recent years you've adapted them i decided to just try and abandon those stubborn things that uh, i've brought into my adulthood for no good reason other mm. than stubbornness did i say this already on an episode I feel yeah like we I talked about this at length <laughs> we had a whole segment on shorts um but did we have a segment on the on the update that i'm now wearing shorts um no okay i've since since that shorts episode, I've decided to start wearing shorts when it's roasting hot, and it's going well. Oh, very good. Uh, that's great news. Um, I personally try to wear shorts at every opportunity that is presented. So, to the dentist? Um, <laughs> haven't been to the dentist in a while, but if I was going to the supermarket, I would wear shorts. Would you wear shorts to the dentist? That's a good question. Uh, the answer is no, because... Uh, my shorts are not formal shorts. They're more kind of sweat shorts or I have old ones that are kind of khaki shorts, but they're not really dressy shorts. How about your short selection? I have a, a pair of shorts that I wore to play football on your stag. Um, they're on me now. And I have another pair that are, like you said, they're kind of tracksuity shorts. They're not formal shorts. So do you get into formal clothing when you go to the dentist? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> hole. I've set myself up here. Well, I would, I would dress in... Sort of khaki pants, maybe, or uh, not jeans, but those other pants that are like jeans, but they're not quite jeans. They're chinos, chinos, the navy ones. And I would probably wear a casual shirt. <laughs> it's like going to the disco when we were 12. <laughs> disco shirt. <laughs> oh, yes. Or I might wear, in this weather, I might wear a polo shirt, like so a short sleeved shirt with a collar, something like that. Excellent. Good to know. Um, okay. Is that enough nonsense? That's enough claptrap, yeah. Let's get on to some real claptrap. 
So why don't you lead us out with the intro bit that you're fond of, Toomey? Yes, this is the Feckin' Check-In, the podcast about funny observations, entertainment, culture, and kernels of truth. Together, that means Feck and Trainer. Will you lead us out for your funny observation for June 2021? I certainly will, yes. So I have been slacking on the funny observations over the past couple of months. Uh, I didn't really come up with any, actually. But I did put my thinking cap on, uh, not a real cap, a metaphorical cap, to uh, come up with one for this month. And the funny observation I've come up with is my own name. So most listeners will know. <laughs> my, I observed my name. No, most listeners will know that my name is Fergal Trainer. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I don't I don't hide that information or anything. But it's F-E-A-R-G-H-A-L, the Irish spelling of Fergal. And then it's T-R-A-Y-N-O-R, which is a standard enough spelling of Trainer. But there are many other variations of both of those names. And my whole life I've dealt with, not a huge thing, but I've dealt with people spelling my name all sorts of different ways. And just making making shit up, basically, out of thin air. Um, so I'll give you some examples. Um, when I signed up to Vodafone for my mobile phone many years ago, in 2003, I filled out a form in block capitals, which you had to do in order to sign up with Vodafone. And I spelled my name out, F-E-A-R-G-H-A-L-T-R-A-Y-N-O-R. And all of the posts I got ever since I signed up was for Fifgal Grainer. <laughs> so they've decided to add it. And now, my capital R's are pretty sharp. Uh, I'd say my T's are pretty good as well. But they decided to make up a new name. Um, and no one in the office or whoever was processing this, or maybe the computer system, I don't know, but uh, it decided to make up a new name, Fiefgal Grainor. Uh, so that's just one example of somebody deciding that my name wasn't Fargal Trainer. It was, in fact, something else. Uh, I signed up to UPC a few years ago. Again... Now, on this ca- on this occasion, I called out my name over the telephone. So we'll give them a bit of leeway here. But my post that I used to receive was to Seerthal Trainor. So S-E-A-R-T-H-A-L-T-R-A-I-N-O-R. Seerthal Trainor. Uh, <laughs> I once gave my number to a guy in a pub. I wrote down my name from uh, the famous Marlowe. If you're listening back as far as Two-Face Fake Snakes, you might remember this guy. A dodgy kind of rapper who... I gave my phone number to and he used to contact me all the time and send me weird messages and photos and uh, ring me all the time and spent, send me long meandering voice notes until I just blocked him. Um, but he used to call me Fear Shell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they kind of get more obscure as they go on. Um, then, obviously, everybody's familiar with ordering a coffee in Starbucks. Uh, you go up to the counter, they ask you your name so they can write it on the cup so that when it's ready, down the bottom, they can call out your name. Nobody, no matter how clearly I state my name, can ever understand my name in Starbucks, ever, ever. So I've had all sorts of weird shit written on cups, uh, but the best one I ever got was Forgel. So that's F-O-R-G-I-L. Even if I phonetically pronounce my name or even if I spell it out, they can absolutely never get it right. Now, maybe that's based on the way I speak, I don't know. But yeah, Forgel, F-O-R-G-I-L. And then it got to the point where I just start telling people in Starbucks, my name is Mark, because it's hard to fuck that one up. (laughs) Um, But other than that, then there's things like my emails that I would send in work. So let's say I'm emailing somebody for the first time ever, and I'm contacting them about something. And they will often reply, and they'll say, hi, Fergal, and they'll write F-E-R-G-A-L. Now, They had in front of them, and they probably still do, my name spelled out on their computer screen, but they've decided themselves that my name isn't spelled like that. It's actually spelled F-E-R-G-A-L. While it's written in front of them there, my recipient 
part of the email would actually be on their computer screen they decide to disregard that spelling and to spell it the way that they are more comfortable with um which i find interesting as well i work with a lot of people from a lot of different countries and i make sure to fucking look at those names properly when i'm seeing a name that i can't maybe phonetically pronounce or i don't understand why some of the letters are in it because it's not my mother tongue for example a polish name maybe or an indian name where if i were to try and read it out i'm sure i'd mispronounce it so i make sure that i at least spell it correctly or i just copy and paste the bloody thing from their email so that there's no room for error so i just find it's funny that uh people will often just decide nah it's not that it's this it's what i knew your name is what i knew in my head prior to you contacting me yeah it's what i decided was the correct spelling not you it's uh there's a lot there's a lot to unpack (laughs) There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, first of all, filling out the forms, um, I'm just thinking: is that could that possibly be to do with handwriting? Has other uh, selections of handwriting of yours ever been under, misunderstood? But that might be one way for us to uh, to rule out that one. Fair enough, but like, Fief Gal Grainer, <laughs> a Grain, Grainer was a surname. Fief Gal, F E A F, G H A L. It's it's hilarious. I've, I've seen your writing. It's very clear. Uh, I've seen it in several over the years. I've seen it a lot, and yeah, it's very clear. Uh, large letters, I would say. You, you use most of the, the two lines for the letters. Quite chunky. Uh, the the letters aren't really blurred into each other. Each letter stands alone. Quite <laughs> uh, quite a distinctive handwriting and quite a clear handwriting. So it is surprising. And I don't really use joined up writing to use the term we learned in secondary school or cursive writing. Uh, I kind of most of the letters stand alone. So, yeah, it is. It's just it's not even that frustrating. I just laugh at it like nowadays. Uh, Sirtal was one of the best ones I've ever. Like, <laughs> OK, if you, Sirtal. If you were in the call center and you were hearing that being called back to you, would you maybe not question it at some point and go, it's this guy. Like, I pronounce my name as Fergal Trainer, and then they, could you spell that? And I'm saying F. They're obviously hearing S. Oh, yes. So when they've when they've heard the name Fergal Trainer, but they've written Sirthal, how can they think that they've got it correct? And why wouldn't they clarify it? Yeah, it's it's madness. And would you trust these people who can't understand your name? Would you trust them with whatever dealings you have with them? I wonder. My television providing... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> responsibilities no I wouldn't trust them I wouldn't trust them at all wouldn't trust that I get the right package the right channels uh, the other thing the only the only way I would uh, excuse this is if you said to someone hi my name is Fergal and they had never seen your name written down and then maybe in Starbucks if they wrote it F-E or G-A-L I would excuse that that's perfectly p- perfectly acceptable but they can never hear what I'm saying when I say Fergal. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's my voice or if it's the name that it's so unusual that they just can't process it. It's like a word they've never heard before. It's an, it's an uncommon name, but it's not a confusing name. It's very clear. Fergal. Yeah, no, there have been famous Fergals. There's Fergal Sharkey, of course, from the undertones. There was a snooker player. Was he Fergal O'Brien or Fergal something or other? Um, like, there have been Fergals. Like, they do exist. <laughs> there are good Fergals out there. There are. But isn't it interesting that our group of friends calls you trainer? Yeah, well, that's kind of common enough with us, where yeah. we were, we're known, like, for example, uh, Toomey, our trainer or whatever. Yeah. Yes, I'm um, the same. We're known by surname. Toomey, correct. That's fine, yeah, but it's just, I don't know, it's it's funny. Forgal, Fierschal, Sirthal, Fiefgal. Here's a, a personal question that you may want to omit from the podcast. Uh, your current partner, does she call you Fergal or trainer? 
Uh, she calls me Ferg. <laughs> Ferg. Okay. <laughs> okay, because I was going to think of like with people who meet you more recently, you introduce your name, Fergal Trainer. I was trying to investigate was there some sort of avoidance of the first name? But there's not an avoidance on my part. My previous partner, as we know, called me Trainer, trainer. Uh, for, for a whole relationship of over 10 years. Um, but uh, yeah, no, she calls me Ferg. Uh, or Fergie. And, and, <laughs> and people you've Fergie. met more recently in work, do they call you Fergal or a trainer? People kind of call me Ferg and Fergie, would you believe? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's too far. Oh, I don't know about that. Then. Fergie. The Fergie thing kind of starts as a joke, but then it catches on. <laughs> I've heard you've been slagged being called Ferg in your uh, late uh, teenage years. Ferg! <laughs> Ferg! Yeah, I don't mind Ferg, that's fine. Uh, Fergie, I can live with it. Because I don't think it's meant in a mocking way. It might it start out that way, maybe. Absolutely. Then it actually just, it just catches on. It's absolutely uh, the, the uh, nickname for uh, Charles Ferguson. He's made a few uh, few uh, deliberations, a few contributions to this issue. He sure has. sure has. One memorable one. Correct. In the bizarre uh, special show that disappeared with a fart in the wind without anyone commenting on it. People just took it as normal and moved on. We've done with their lives, as if yes. it didn't happen. Less said, the better. Correct. I was going to add in my own struggles with my first name, but I don't think I will. I think I think I like the mystique of keeping my first name hidden on the feckin' check-in. That's fair enough. Okay, so we'll move on. Uh, This month, we're talking about E for entertainment, like we do every month, of course. But this month, we're going to talk about football. It's the Euro 2020. uh, Has been, obviously, postponed by a year into 2021. But they're still calling it Euro 2020, correct? Correct. That's absolutely correct. And um, I've watched a couple of bits of matches, or a couple of matches, and you obviously are keenly interested in football. You made at least one observation that I found quite interesting. Maybe we'll start with that. Yes, okay. Uh, one observation I had was that a lot of the matches, several of the matches, if not 90% of the matches, it seems, when there's injury time or when the match is about to be up, like so normally it's like designated, there'll be five minutes of injury time. And again and again and again, the matches are being blown up for the final whistle at like four minutes and 47 seconds or four minutes and 50 seconds. And it really, really annoys me because first of all, there's usually stoppages within the injury time that should be added on for. And secondly, you could 10 seconds is enough time to score a goal in football. It's enough time for the, for the ball to go from the defense up to the attack with a long ball and something to happen and for there to be a goal. It's unlikely, but it's still, it's still, um, it still could happen. It's not unprecedented. Yeah, it's not impossible. So who, who's the referee is making the decision? He's like, I want to end this when it's quiet because nothing is going to happen now because I decide that and I want it on my terms. So I'm going to cut this team's... I know it's only a tiny, tiny percentage chance they're going to score in that 10 seconds, but he's like, I'm going to cut that now because it suits me. It really so annoys me. Are they, I presume they're just given a bit of leeway and they happen to be availing of it or using it more so now than they previously have. Is that what's going on? Or Well, when you put up the... Uh, amount of added time you display it on a board at the side of the pitch so it's like five minutes uh, at a mm. time and my understanding is that that's the minimum amount of time that you're supposed to add on so you have leeway in terms of adding time onto that because things happen and you want maybe maybe it's like five minutes 20 seconds and so you just put up like five minutes and then you add on the 20 seconds but 
it's never been before where you put up five minutes and you you, you consistently blow it up at four minutes fifty seconds. I hate it. It just really annoys me. It ruins <laughs> the match for me. No, I wouldn't go that far. But and um, do you have any idea why it's happening? I don't have any idea. But one thing that's different from the matches that I watch in the Premier League is that the referees who are doing this are predominantly based in different countries. So like they'd be based in Holland and Germany and Italy. Uh, I don't know if it's a cultural thing where that's more common in those countries. I'd have to kind of research that. But I I noticed a few other people had noticed this as well. It's, It's just weird. Yeah, it seems kind of like a little bit of a, um, a turd in the hamper at the end of the added time there. Because there's the excitement, of course, that somebody could score at any second. And uh, we've seen, <laughs> obviously, in the Spain versus Croatia match, Spain yes. got two, go- two goals in the uh, in the added time. Very Maybe good. not in the last 10 seconds, but uh, that's certainly something I was watching. And I was watching it because I have money on it. So that um, encouraged me to go and watch that. I watched the extra time anyway, and maybe the at the end of the actual match, I think, as well. And... Uh, I found it really exciting. There was like 30 minutes and my team that we got in our draw that we did amongst the lads is Spain. Um, so it was very satisfying for me to watch them score two goals in extra time and win that match. Um, I think gambling on sport uh, makes it a, me- a million times more interesting. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, that's true. It, it like You could take a match with two teams you don't care about and you could bet on one particular outcome and suddenly it's really, really important. And depending on how much money you put on it, it could be like really really important you could be walking around the room pacing around the room and that's what that's i guess that's gambling in in general creates that but especially with football it creates it makes a boring thing for you as not a football fan it makes it really exciting exhilarating almost yeah um i've seen you certainly in that mode in the past where you've got a couple of football bets on and you're you're not you're not present (laughs) yes yeah i went through my own uh journey with with the football betting uh where when i was in southampton i used to do it quite regularly my problem with it was that i would take it um like a competition with myself so i document all of the wins and losses and i couldn't accept if i lost it was like i'd lost the match if my bet lost (laughs) <laughs> so, then, so I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And then I, I'd want to win the next one. And yeah. then you can do that a few times. You win. The, so you lose the first one and then you try to win that money back in the next bet. So you mm. put a bit more money on and you take a bit more risks because you're kind of a bit more like agitated because you want to get it back. You're and loose. Then, what? You're loose. You're kind it, of looser. Yeah, a bit looser. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'll go for uh, England to win 4-0 against whoever. Yeah. Um, and then you can get away with that for so long, but there's, it's only like what I learned from going through that is like you you can get away with that for a certain amount of time where you kind of double up your bets or whatever. You're going to lose it, most of it eventually. And then it becomes just, for me, it became a waste of time. Um, I, hadn't, I hadn't bet in a long time. I had a little bet on a couple of matches on the Euros and I saw the same patterns starting again. So I, ha- I haven't bet since. And yeah, haven't enjoyed it. Haven't enjoyed it since since I was in Southampton. And um, yeah, I don't think I'll be doing it again because for me, it's like it's, it's great fun. But if the bet loses, I'll want to do it again. And just kind of knowing that about myself is makes me not want to do it in the first yeah, place. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. I've had my own um, gambling issues over the years where uh, I've lost money and I, I wanted to win it back and then I lost that and then I yeah and you can only like you said it's like a pyramid scheme you can only keep doubling your money <laughs> yeah. 
for eventually you run out of all money yes <laughs> or you certainly run out of all your disposable income and then that's the worst because you're just like well i've only got x amount left now and that's for rent and food and a fucking whatever i need to do yeah um and i've just wasted all my disposable income on this ludicrous gambling yeah um, and that has a real impact so then when you've gone through that like as we kind of have separately you don't really want to do it again now one thing i would say is if you, if you do bets with like your friends like lads groups where you pick a winner for Euro 2020. It's very contained and safe. and Yeah, exactly. It's a bit it's, of like social and stuff. Something like that is kind of safe ground for me because I don't get personally offended if at the end Spain get knocked out or something like that. Uh, yeah. Like I would if the roulette wheel landed on the number I didn't want it to. Uh, I got personally offended by that. Got <laughs> 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 um, personally attacked by the croupier uh, who was doing it deliberately. Yeah, uh, to disrespect me. No, um, but uh, yeah, it, it did, does does did make me watch some matches though, just because I had money on it, and something like a game of poker as well is is a good place yeah, for me to gamble now. Because afterwards, I don't like chase that twenty euro or fifty euro. I can just accept it, move on with my life. Um, yeah, that's the way. There's a limit on it, and it that that works really well. But I, you'd wonder, like with, with the um, we don't stray off into gambling too much, but. Uh, like you'd wonder how different people actually bet like are there like really rational gamblers out there who just really enjoy it i don't know because like you know the way gambling advertising is everywhere so there must be a huge variation in the way people gamble yeah so some people certainly like to represent themselves as rational gamblers who make the correct bets all the time and if they don't win it's because something happened that shouldn't have Yes, I, I know a few people like that. It's like, yeah, well, I I had it on the favorite and I had the money on, but like, you know, it was just complete like anomaly that like that they didn't win or whatever. Like, yeah, so. yeah, and the screenshots only come in of the bets they've won. It's not like lost loads of money on this bet. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You only sing when you're winning, something like that. Uh, Absolutely. So I watched a bit of France and Switzerland as well. That went into penos. That was good, but. Uh, I heard one of the RTE commentators, you used the word exhilarating there yourself earlier. There was 30 minutes of added time where nothing happened at all. And I, one of the RTE uh, pundits inscri- described the 30 minutes as incredible and exhilarating. And <laughs> <laughs> I just thought was that was like her hyperbole at its finest. I just sat through it and I don't watch football, obviously, but I can still get into some level of excitement if something happens. But uh, then it went into penalties and the poor chap on a... Uh, was it France that lost? France that lost. It was yeah. the guy who the guy who shot last. Um, Mbappe. Yes, missed his penalty. The poor bastard. Uh, <laughs> poor bastard. That's that's horrific. That that must be so difficult to recover from. Uh, the pressure, firstly, of having to score, then actually losing it for your team. I'd say that's. I know Gareth Southgate went through something similar about twenty five years ago. Yeah, he was really criticised in the English press for years and years after that, and it really followed him around. But yeah, I don't know how other countries. I'd say other countries are less judgmental and and more forgiving than the English press. How they treat their footballers is really bad. Um, but yeah, there's a lot riding on on penalty shootouts, and and you can really like have a big effect one way or the other on people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I missed from watching it because I don't really watch football that much, but uh, I missed the. Johnny Giles, Eamon Dunphy, and Bill O'Hurley triumvirate. I know Bill O'Hurley's dead. The other two are still alive, though, aren't they? Giles is alive, isn't he? Yeah, Giles is alive. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's still, and Dunphy and Giles, they they talk together on Dunphy's uh, podcast called The Stand. Ah, right, okay. um, so they, he'll probably be you probably if you're looking out for him, you'll you'll find him on that. But I I love them. They were so good. 
But I, I, I wouldn't go out of my way to listen to a podcast now, but I did enjoy the punditry, even if I hadn't been watching the match, just because it was completely different. And, like, it was kind of anything could happen at any point. Yeah. <laughs> Ronaldo was a cut, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was funny. Yeah. There's some great ones. You know that Rod Little one, that Eamon Dunphy? Uh, I'll tell you who wrote that about Roy Keane. I'll tell you who wrote that. That's Rod Little. Who is that? He's the guy who ran away with for his, from his wife with a young one. <laughs> a young one, yeah. Because <laughs> one of them was like, I don't know who wrote it. Well, I, well, I do. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you who wrote it. Rod yeah. Little. <laughs> Sorry for anyone who hasn't watched uh, football on RTE um, over over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, okay. Basically, right, there's like, just to explain, there's like three really, there was three drunk lads basically uh, saying whatever they wanted about the matches and getting really personal in a, in a very <laughs> hilarious way. And all the other, like the British uh, analysis were all like really safe and stuff. and Reserved and whatever, yeah. yeah. And, and they'd be having bickering rows, like and getting put out and offended with each other and stuff. Yeah, yeah it was, oh, it was it was brilliant. Right, so we're moving on. It's C for culture. Toomey, you have a culture point for June 2021. Why don't you let us know what it is? It's about gyms, trainer. I'm so unfamiliar with the gym. These days I refer to him as James. <laughs> I was going to make a similar gyms joke. It's not about Jim Byrne or <laughs> about a selection of gyms. No, this is G-Y-M-S. Um, I wanted to talk about how uh, attitudes to gyms have changed over time. I was thinking, I was having a conversation with a couple of people about this and gyms started off as being this kind of very much a male only space where it was very like bodybuilder males in it. And then over time it evolved into males, men, males. It feels weird males. saying that name a few times. I'm okay saying it once, but then saying it a few times sounds weird. But um, it evolved into, it was opened up to other men uh, being able to run and doing more kind of cardio stuff and then it sort of then it was like f- women started to like infiltrate it but but it was still very uncomfortable for them and then we had i don't know if you remember this we had curves gym in ireland i remember hearing about it all we had right, gender yeah. s- segregated gyms <laughs> and this was like there was like women's big um this big entry point into gyms by going to curves gym and it was a special gym for women the way they wanted it um, and that was a bit silly, really, but it was <laughs> it was a way for women to get into the space in a safe way. And then over time, I guess uh, attitudes to wheel, towards female health and body image have changed, where it's, it went away from the kind of stick thin model figure as a kind of idealized version of what a female should look like, and that moved towards fitness and, and a healthy um, version of the, of the female body. And uh, I think women in general got more into gyms, not just for that reason, but just for kind of health. And over time, they infiltrated the the cardio sections of the gym and then added in uh, the, the kind of, they spread out to the, and created a new space for yoga and Pilates. And then we saw the growth of uh, gym classes, like, you know, those circuit training classes and things like that. So it was kind of that, yeah, that female uh, influence, is really positive influence. Then the next phase of how gym culture changed was with COVID-19 
we had to like stop going to the gym and we had to start booking into slots to go into the gym at different times and that kind of and people started not being in the gym as much and and for me personally and my wife we realized that we can actually do a lot of the exercises and the classes that were provided in the gym we can do them at home and do yoga at home and do our own exercise routines at teens at home because we were forced to because with covid and stuff and then recently that i think the next the latest phase of it i've noticed a lot more in ireland outdoor gyms like those outdoor machineries and equipment like when they first were introduced maybe about five years ago like it would only be like a few people using them but now it's loads of people are using them there's one out um on the canal many parks uh, you're always hanging around parks doesn't matter where it is (laughs) (laughs) and this is my kind of my point is the evolution has been interesting over time but the next logical step is for outdoor gyms to take over and you think about like it was always a bit disgusting being an indoor gym in some ways yeah Uh, yeah it is kind of disgusting in a way yeah (laughs) Sweaty, grubby finger, and dirty bastards who don't clean up after themselves. Yeah, and you'd be in those classes, you'd be using the same mat as some sweaty person has just five minutes before you. Yeah. Of course, your sweat doesn't count, but their sweat is disgusting. disgusting. Yeah, Uh, yeah, well, I've never... I've, I've never done a gym class. Sorry, I've never done a gym class. And I haven't actually been in the gym since March of 2020. Uh, our, the one I use is part of my apartment complex. It's free for residents only. But um, actually, there are two. But you have to book into a slot. And the management company are being really very, very slow about the whole thing. So I haven't even really heard back about it yet. So I haven't gone near one in ages. But I was going to ask you, do you find a lot of people in the gyms now that you have, do you have to book slots? Or how many machines are like blocked off in, in the one you use? That type of stuff. I haven't been back in the gym because I do all outdoor exercise, but I was right. talking to someone who had been back in the gym recently and it's, he said, was saying it's a bit hit and miss. So he said they what happens is people will book a slot from, let's say, 12 to, to 1 and it's like an hour, but nobody polices how long you stay. So you could book a slot from 12 and you could be in there for three hours. And if a few people do that, then it kind of makes the whole thing a bit silly because mm. the gyms are then packed and there's like that's the purpose why why those rules were put in so they wouldn't be packed and now if people are, aren't really following the rules then they are packed um so yeah basically in short they, there's peak demand for the gyms at the moment they're full of people um, right more so according to this guy who had went to the gym a guy i was talking to recently more so than before the covid19 they're they're very much in demand in my one it seems like they've blocked off more than half of the machines which makes a small gym which is already small, even smaller. And I think if I were to get a slot in a gym, I'm still waiting to hear back about that, um, I'd feel very self-conscious about being on one of the very few machines available and taking up one of the only slots that's available as well. So <laughs> I, I used to feel self-conscious when the gym was open fully to everybody if I was on, let's say, a cross trainer for 40 minutes. Um, and you'd be getting the eye from people, you know, kind of walking back and forth and eyeing you up and being like, giving you the, are you going to be finished anytime soon look? <laughs> yes. So like I'd say that's only going to be amplified massively now with the, the lack of machines available. But I'll, I'll follow up when I actually do set foot in the place, maybe in, I don't know, August. Yeah, just kind of that, that pressure it's like oh you see yourself as one of the the chosen few who's going to be on one of the three available cross trainers yeah you? Well, yeah <laughs> so hopefully that'll that'll reduce over time
But who knows what's going to happen with all that stuff. Nobody knows, really. Nobody does at all. Um, okay, so we're going to move on to the final segment of the feckin' check-in. It's K for Kernels of Truth. So you came across a bit of a... Is it an article or a book you were reading and has different profiles about the types of drinkers? Yeah, I was reading a book uh, that was just released a couple of days ago by a psychologist called Christian Jarrett. And it's about um, personality and how it changes in different situations. And it's kind of a book about how to understand your how your personality changes in different situations and how to actively change it yourself if you want to. But anyway, one little part of it was describing how people's personality changes when they're drinking in a social situation. And it was breaking down uh, how the degree too much the degree to which you change in personality when you're drinking. So whether you stay the same or whether you completely change. And psychologists sorry. It seems to specify being drunk actually in these in these categories here. Oh sorry. Rather than just drinking. Oh yes, you're right. Sorry, the drunk personality. So and it categorized your drunk personality into four different uh, types of drunk personality. And it gave them kind of funny names and descriptions so you can categorize yourself into these four types. So what are you like when you're drunk in terms of personality? (laughs) Okay, here we go. So do you recognize yourself here? So number one, Ernest Hemingway. You don't change as much as others when you're drunk and you especially retain your openness to experience and intellect. Mary Poppins. You're charming when drunk, manifested as your usual sober agreeableness being especially unaffected. The Nutty Professor. You're an introvert when sober and show a drastic increase in extroversion and lower conscientiousness when you're drunk. Mr. Hyde. You're unpleasant to be around when drunk, showing especially large decreases in agreeability and conscientiousness, so much likely, so more likely to take risks and cause offence to others. So you have the Ernest Hemingway, the Mary Poppins, the Nutty Professor, and the Mr. Hyde. Okay, so we discussed this beforehand off air. We're going to each tell the other person what kind of drunk we think they are. Oh my God, this could go <laughs> badly wrong. I'm just focusing on the word drunk rather than drinking. Yes. And I'm going to say you're the Nutty Professor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've talked about this before. That is correct. I am the Nutty Professor. <laughs> A drastic increase in extroversion. <laughs> it is drastic. The word drastic really uh, captures it, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, over um, the years. But uh, I think nowadays, when you drink, you're more like the Ernest Hemingway because you don't really get drunk. Uh, so you retain your openness to experience and intellect. Thank you very much. But I guess the thing is about when we are drunk. So that's why yeah. I don't get drunk as much because I go in... <laughs> the Nutty Professor. Uh, the, uh, yeah, I go Nutty <laughs> Professor. And you've seen it many times over the years. The Nutty Professor doesn't give a shit. <laughs> He'll do whatever he wants. I had a bit of Nutty Professor in me when I was a child. Although you still haven't told me what I am. Not yes. a child, sorry, an early 20-year-old. Based on uh, my observations of you and based on things you've said to me, I think that you, it's hard to say, but you're not the Nutty Professor because I don't think you drastically change when you're drunk. Um, you're definitely not the Mr. Hyde because you're, Mr. Hyde is unpleasant when they're drunk um, and argumentative. Um, I actually think it's the Mary Poppins. So the Mary Poppins is you're charming when drunk, 
manifested as your usual sober agreeableness being especially unaffected. I've chosen that because I think you're more charming when you're drunk, basically. I think you're more uh, at ease or something and more chatty and witty, <laughs> witty sometimes when you're drunk. And I know you've said that to me before. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't fully think I fit exactly into any of those categories, but I think there's a small bit of Hyde and Nutty Professor in there, and they can come out, but maybe mm. Poppins might be the most accurate one. Uh, but I've had my Nutty Professor and Mr. Hyde moments, certainly, in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I think just, I want to go back to Nutty Professor and Hyde, but <laughs> but with the earnings, Ernest Hemingway, you don't change as much as others when you're drunk. I think in recent years you were more like that. In that I think your sober personality has caught up with your drunk personality. Whereas before I think you were um, sometimes lacking in confidence when sober and uh, very confident when drunk. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. And I think you're right. I think it has changed. I think there's a confidence that comes with age. We've talked about this on on many other episodes. Um, Yes, that's a good way of describing it. My sober personality is caught up with my drunk one. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of confidence, uh, which is yeah. a positive thing. Yeah, but no, I, I, I can, I can definitely say I've been a nutty professor in the past. Oh, Maybe I've the... seen it. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit of a reference to it in uh, the best man speech at my wedding, actually, for, <laughs> for our friend Mark. We won't yeah. go into the details. Um, I think your Mister Hyde moments when drunk have always, they've always been very, very funny. Like they've never, they've always been really silly, Mister Hyde moments. Like you're never like cantankerous. You're if you're ever cantankerous, know. it's always with a lot of humor. Like you, like I found myself sometimes when drunk. Like on rare occasions, I don't think I get aggressive that much. But when I get aggressive when drunk, it's genuine, like aggression that I don't want to to happen. But sometimes when you got aggressive during the years, it's kind of silly and it says kind of you often would have uh, an argument with a stranger when drunk and it starts off hostile but you would sort of disarm them and make them laugh <laughs> it usually starts off with me being a smart arse yeah. <laughs> and then maybe yeah forming a bit of a bond afterwards that's certainly happened a few times yeah so maybe yours is more kind of uh, fluid across those different ones uh, yeah fluid fluid uh, that was that was enjoyable I enjoyed that um, yeah. alright that's going to kind of do it for this episode of the feckin check in I reckon that rhymed are we going to do a song of the month I believe we are and I strongly believe that it's your choice okay I'm going to play and I just thought of this off the top of my hand the drinking song by the Divine Comedy oh great okay that's going to do it for this month's feckin check in I've been trainer he's been to me we'll play it out with the Divine Comedy and I believe that's from uh, oh, what the fuck album is that from I can't even remember now one of the albums the second album Promenade, I think. Um, so early 90s stuff there. Any final words for the listener to me? Uh, just feck off.
spirit store We'll drink till we just can't drink anymore Raise your glasses high Drink the cellar dry Well, bloody my nose and blacken my Young Turk in search of a fight And Chanticleer's chest is sagging with pride For honour has yet to be satisfied Well, heaven be thanks, we live in an age When no man need bother except on the stage With Dolce at the Cormest, Propatria Mori And definitely not tonight I can still remember when I was just a kid <laughs> I was free to do what I wanted to But I never, ever did So now, with years of discretion reached <laughs> May we not forget Liberté, égalité, fraternité For there's life in the old world yet There'll Of our eyes and an army of elephants. 